Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. So if this is your first time checking out our podcast, I just want to welcome you to the Kelly family and just let you know that we exist to help you along your business journey. So if you're an organizational leader who's wrestling with a tough topic, maybe you want to get a hold of some of our faculty or you know of an individual who would make a great guest for our show, send us an email to ROIPod. That's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-E-P-U-I dot E-D-U. Well, in the age of digitization, it seems that every principle that we've known in the business world is moving online and someone somewhere has their 10 tips or 15 tips to garner the success that you need. But in reality, if we kind of boil things back, if we really look at, you know, the digitization and where business is moving in the digital space, there's a lot of principles that have just been there since the beginning, and it's just a reinterpretation of the principles. For example, let's take marketing, you know, a billboard. There's a process that goes into the design. You want to catch someone's eye. You want to guide people to, you know, a certain action. In the same sense, is, is a Facebook ad, not just a digital billboard, a digital highway that you pass and you're trying to get people to call it action. There's a lot of parallels within these worlds. And that's what we're going to focus today is we're going to sit in this digitization of space, specifically in marketing, and kind of pull back some of the layers to find what are the principles that whether you're marketing in digital space, whether you're marketing in newspaper, billboard, what have you, wherever you're trying to put your brand, your image, what are these principles that guide those decisions? So today, I am honored to be joined by the Assistant Professor of Marketing here at the Kelly School of Business, Beth Fossen, who specializes in research within the digital and social media world. So Beth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Matt. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. So talk about uh, you know what what you do, what you notice. I mean, obviously, you do a lot more of the research side and uh, really starting to find trends, find things that work. You know what? find how people are just interacting uh, with data. So I'd love to start off with, you know, from from where you sit, you know, what is your role specific and how do you kind of uh, just get us all up to speed on what you do? I'm an assistant professor here at Kelly and I've been here a couple of years. Um, I do a lot of research in the social media and online media domain. Um, as we know, consumers are increasingly moving their media consumption to online channels. So for marketers, if we want to influence consumers, that means that we increasingly have to transition our media to the online and digital space. So I find research topics in that area to be fascinating. And I, and I spend a lot of my time doing that kind of research. Uh, and I also teach at the Kelly School and sort of hope, hopefully um, help build the next set of marketing practitioners that are going to have these skill sets. And so I I, um, uh, my teaching here is primarily for, um, the undergrad capstone. So it's like a perfect, like people that are about to be, you know, you know, entry level managers and marketing positions. And so that's sort of my position, um, at Kelly. 
obviously, you know, when we talk about the uh, digital space and we talk about, you know, traditional marketing, which we'll label as traditional marketing being, you know, um, newspapers, com- TV commercials, billboards, stuff like that. You know, there there are, uh, obviously, you, you do need to know some different lingo, some um, differences. So let's explore, you know, kind of the, the things that you do need to keep in mind when dealing with digital marketing as there are differences. And then let's, you know, we can kind of get into what are some of those principles that tie it all together? Yeah. I mean, there, there are several things I think that make um, marketing on digital and online channels unique when you're comparing it to how you market on sort of traditional channels like the billboard. One of the biggest differences that I think marketers face is grabbing attention is really challenging online. Um, Consumers have a lot of things that are distracting them. If you take the kind of classic billboard example you gave at the beginning, which is like, cool, you're sitting at a stoplight, you see a billboard, there's not as much distracting your attention, right? Whereas if you're online, you might have, you know, your you know smartphone out while you're on your computer, there could be a TV on in the background, you know, there are all these other things that could be distracting your attention. And so um, that's one of the big fundamental issues I think marketers face when they're trying to market. Uh, on online channels is how do we get people to look at our ads, A, and then B, if they look at them, how do we get them to have an impact on them? And I think those are issues that are are harder when we think about online media versus traditional media. Um, You know, if someone self-selects into watching a television show, um, when the ads come on, they can either tune out or tune in there's a little bit less distraction that might go on in the online space. Online consumers have a lot of control. At any point, they can end a web browsing session, you know, um, they, they, and they might have their attention spread out over many different um, dimensions at the same time. And, you know, one thing that was interesting is you brought up before we started this podcast, we were, we were talking on the phone, uh, you know, you said something along the lines of that, you know, you know, or organizations can sit down and say, I know 50% of my advertising is working but I'm just not sure, you know, what 50%. And obviously, you know, there are going to be some people, you know, it's it's hard to think, but I know there's some leaders out there and some organizations that have just been ingrained in their ways. It's what they do. They do the traditional media. It's garnered success. And why stray from from that? You know, why risk or put places in some where you're not familiar? And that's totally logical. You know, not familiar with the space. This is working great. Yeah, there are some pros into being digital, one of them being trackability of who's who's checking us out are they in our demographic is it someone we want to reach there are more specifics versus going back to that example of the billboard some john doe sitting at the traffic light you're not sure their age you're not sure you know their background you're not sure of anything other than some person you know saw it. and so i love that quote so talk about some of you know the why you're a big proponent of digital marketing and why i mean organizations that maybe aren't. And I know this seems like a silly question, but why some organizations that may be um, fighting getting digital, why they should make that move? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So a couple things in there, you know, that's our, that's our famous classic marketing quote. You know, all the marketing nerds know that quote of like, you know, you know, the CMO is like, gosh, you know, I know 50% of my marketing is working. I just don't know which 50%. And that quote Uh, essentially gets at something you suggested, which is this issue of attribution of how do I know if my ad is actually driving sales behavior and it's not something else that drove that sales behavior? How do I know what my consumer, who my consumer is, what their age is, you know, what they like? 
Um, I think one of the distinct advantages between online advertising um, versus traditional advertising is the ability to target on, you know, incredibly um, nuanced dimensions of customers that we might find attractive for our businesses. You know, sort of the traditional TV model is that we might get a sense of the typical demographic in terms of the age or gender of someone who watches, you know, like The Voice or some other TV show. But online, we have a lot more information about um, our, our consumers. So we can we can target at a level that's a little more detailed, which could be beneficial for both the consumer and the firm. The firm, the firm is able to um, identify a set of characteristics they think is perfect for their ideal consumer. And the consumer gets less, you know, less unwanted ads. They get ads that are actually more in line with their preferences. I will say I don't have like a distinct horse in the race. I think traditional um, advertising channels can be really effective for a lot of firms and businesses. And I think for others, the digital channel makes sense. So some of the unique advantages of the digital channel is that it can be more cost effective. Advertising on television, for example, uh, especially like broadcast is really expensive. Uh, you know, and so the cost per impression can be unattainable, for, for example, for like a small firm or a startup or a company that's just starting out. So I think some of the, the lower cost um, per impression advantages of the online make it a really attractive channel. Also, there are a certain number of consumers where you can only reach them online now. You know, they've cut the cable. They're not, you know, especially in the COVID world, we're not driving as much. So billboards and sort of traditional radio is it, you know, it's harder to reach consumers in that way. In-store promotions um, with more consumers shopping online, they're not being reached by those marketing tactics. So I think a lot of consumers now, or a lot of firms are more open to online marketing than they've ever been because they realize that this might be the only chance to sort of reach consumers. Um, and so I think that that's also opened um, the door for a lot of people to try it out. And, you know, we talked about some of the pros, obviously, being, you know, you can you can really figure out who you're talking to. And I think that becomes one of the biggest keys of marketing, because if you're selling a product that's that's gender specific, age specific, you know, anything that's specific in those categories, you know, you're not going to want to reach out. That wouldn't make sense to talk to just anybody. You know, you want to reach those. And so that digitization or the digital side of it does have those, you know, positives. But also talk about some of the negatives. I mean, obviously, it's you go on a website and there could be, you know, 500 and I'm trying not to, I mean, I'm exaggerating a bit, but there's so many ads on banners, on sides, on bottoms, you know, and then it's, and then you get into the, not just the ads, but then you get into the clickbait ads where it's like, you know, this one pill will solve every miracle, you know, is the miracle drug that you will change your age, like 20 years back. So, you know, how, what are some other negatives in, in, in the space of digitization and digital marketing? Yeah, no, I'm really glad you asked that question, Matt. I think we need to be conscious if we're going to be good marketers of all the stakeholders in this process, right? You know, there's a lot of research that is that that sort of thinks and talks about issues with consumer well-being and being online, right? There's a lot, as you mentioned, there's not, not only are there a lot of things to distract us, but, you know, our consumers may not be going online to be served marketing messages, they might not be in the right state of mind to be served marketing messages. Um, and if we hit them with highly targeted ads, we've also seen the consequences of that, especially from our friends in the political marketing space of like, you know, what, you know, what level of targeting is um, approaching unethical and immoral. And so I think we need to be increasingly aware of 
of all of the stakeholders um, in, in this question of, of when we engage in sort of online marketing activities. Um, and I think this is a really important question with an ongoing um, kind of area of research of, of what the right balance is. To make it even more interesting from a marketer standpoint, big players like Google and Facebook constantly change sort of how how you can target, you know, Google is right now in conversation of removing cookie ads. And if you're not familiar with those, it sort of serves the basis for a lot of the types of targeting and retargeting marketers do online. I mean, a decision like that would sort of fundamentally change what we know about targeted advertising online and actually might draw attention back towards traditional television advertising. You know, if, if we take away the targeting advantage of the online space uh, for some marketers that might make things like TV advertising seem more attractive. And so uh, I think there's a lot of kind of wheels spinning simultaneously, um, but one advantage that the online space continues to hold is the cost per impression advantage right now, at least things like TV haven't been able to come up with a comparable um, solution for, you know, getting a lot of eyeballs inexpensively. And, you know, it also raises before we jump into like what, what bridges it all together, you know, what are things to think about that you can apply and it, and it, you know, gets you set up to a level of success for all, you know, I want to talk about it's, there's this temptation almost too to your point where you say, yeah, like if someone's on Facebook and they're just trying to disconnect, let's say, or maybe they're just online searching the news and they're just wanting to like kind of disconnect from, you know, products and ads and everything else. There is that you, you know, you jump onto a website and all of a sudden the full screen, you all the content you're searching for, and then a full screen ad pops up and you have to find the X button. You know, if it's hit at the wrong time, could bring a level of frustration. But there's a there's almost like a competitive factor within organizations where, like, say I'm trying to compete with a, a podcasting organization and I see that they have an ad. Well, from my perspective, I'm like, wow, they ran this ad. Let's just do it because they ran it and we need to, you know, be competitive. When in reality, we're not really even sure if it was an effective ad to begin with. So talk about how can organizational leader, organizational leaders work to take a step back and not just do ads or di especially digital ads just because competitors are doing that kind of advertising. Yeah, no, that definitely happens. Um, especially when, especially when as a marketer, if you're unsure of your social media strategy, one of the main strategies that we see often a lot in marketing is just copy what your competitor is doing. So you're like, if your competitor is doing it, you know, I might as well, because I don't at least want to lose ground at a minimum. I might not be converting sales, but I don't want to be losing sales if they are converting sales. And so that's sort of the logic. Um, I think they're, you know, we're, we're hitting on a number of sort of um, issues that are all kind of touching the same kind of question of like, you know, well, you know, there's some concerns. Um, am I getting in it for the right or wrong reasons? You know, if we get more at this heart of the issue of, well, how does it work? Like, how can we get how can we get online advertising to work for our firm? I think I think that is a really interesting question. Um, there has been there's an interesting survey run by Duke University called the CMO Survey. Um, it's a free website and they publish their data, so I, I recommend checking it out if it's something that sounds interesting to you. But what they publish is sort of general trends in marketing spending and marketing effectiveness. It's like a giant survey of CMOs all over the world. Um, and traditionally, one of the things they always track is how CMOs are spending online and social media advertising dollars. Um, and then they ask them, you know, how effective that those social media dollars are in terms of like converting to sales. So on average, if you look at the, the last 20 years, 
it always goes up. CMOs all are they're consistently spending more on online and social media ads. Uh, but what is not going up and what is not changing at all is their perceived effectiveness. That is how they're they're impacting sales. So they're first of all, there's a big issue where the a lot of marketers don't know if their social media dollars are working at all. And those that do really they they haven't been able to push the needle as much as they would like on getting uh, conversions to increase. So I think that sort of frame frames a lot of the conversations we're having is just to sort of understand this is where we're at in the online world. So online ads are tricky. Conversion rates are really, really low. Um, and part of that is to the point you just brought up, people don't go online being like, gosh, I really want to see that new Ford ad. Uh, you know, like it's just it's what's really driving me to hop on Twitter today. Um, and so what, how can we shift the narrative? How, how can firms be effective online. Um, so there's been a lot of research on this and I, I think there's a lot of different positions. Um, one of the positions is to think about, well, what, what, what gets consumers to consider a brand or product? Uh, on average, consumers are way more likely to trust information that's coming from their friends and, and followers and people they know than information that's coming from a branded social media account. Uh, and so with that, uh, that's why we've seen this huge rise in what's called influencer marketing. So, so this idea of trying to get people to talk about your brand, real people, authentic people to talk about your brand, your company, your product, your service online. Uh, and so I, I think this could be really effective. Um, like if I saw Matt's Twitter feed, I'm way more likely to take whatever he's saying to be more true or more valid than something that I see from, you know, like Coca-Cola's Twitter feed, right? So it's sort of this personal connection builds this relationship, which means I value what you say more than this unknown uh, company that I don't necessarily have this attachment to. And so that then raises this, you know, the big question of, well, how do I get people to talk about me online? Uh, well, sometimes you can pay them. That's sort of the idea of around influencer marketing of like giving them free products and services. But you can also turn your consumers into advocates. People, you know, have, they spend a lot of time online, especially now. Um, a lot of times they're bored. They're looking for points of conversation. And a lot of that chatter will go towards, you know, products, brands, restaurants, services, things like that. Uh, so how do we get people to take those conversations in a way that actually might increase our awareness or, or, or even convert uh, to sales. And so there's been a lot of fascinating research on this space. If this is, this is something that you're interested in, one of the books that I, that it's just so much fun to read that's on this topic is a book called Contagious um, by Jonah Berger. He's a marketing professor at Wharton. Uh, and he outlines and his website outlines some really easy to digest materials on this exact topic of, well, if we want to be successful online, we need to turn our consumers into marketers for our company. Uh, and ideally, we could do this uh, without spending even money. You know, if we can get people to share, you know, experiences or about our brands and products and services, then that's that's a win win for everyone involved. Um, and, and a couple of the things that he's found uh, in his research have also come up in work that I've done in the in the advertising space. Um, Things like uh, using emotional appeals really work in the online space, right? We're, we're more likely to respond to and resonate to emotional appeals. Also things like storytelling are really successful um, in the online space to capture people's attention and get them to rebroadcast what's going on. Um, 
yeah, he, he talks a, a lot about things like um, sharing something that has practical value. And he gives some good examples of firms that do this well. Um, and also things like triggers get people to talk. So one example of this is like the Geico hump day ad. Um, if you want to guess what day people talk about Geico or hump day the most, it's going to be Wednesday, right? So it's like creating this unnatural association between your brand and firm and something that's triggered often in their, in their lives. Like for example, a Wednesday. Uh, and so these sort of things like triggers and using emotion and, and showcasing practical value and, and using narrative storytelling. These are all kind of things that brands and firms can build into their marketing communications to make it easy for their consumers to, to talk about them online. And, you know, for, for just thinking about, it, I mean, these are pillars right here that get into things that you do, whether you're on the digital space or you're you're not. I mean, you know, be, because thinking of relationship with brand, you know, like the example you brought up where people, in this case, in paying influencers to talk about it, you, you're having people that you feel you have a relationship with is no different than, you know, before social media and before the online boom, you know, having a neighborhood of people that would say, oh, you know what, man, I, I'm looking for um, something to clean my windows that's effective. And I was like, oh my gosh, Windex, are you kidding me? Like I've used this stuff. I mean, it becomes that I'm going to trust my neighbor more so than I'm going to trust, you know, the, the salesman at the, you know, that's coming door to door. Like if I had a Windex salesman come up to my house and he's like, Hey, you know, Windex. Yeah. I might try it out, but I'm probably going to buy into it more because my neighbor uses it. I've seen his windows. I've seen the results. I love what's going on. Cool. That that's going to build the trust. So it's a really interesting way how you put it where, you know, having that relationship with someone that's trusted pulling into the, you know, saying, hey, this is the product, this is what it works. You know, the emotional appeal, so I want to kind of dive into that deeper a little bit because you said, you know, it's kind of hard to get someone, like you said, no one's really going online and say, I want to see that latest Ford advertisement unless it was really that good because there are examples and instances where people do go out of their way to see a commercial, to see an ad that has that deep emotional, you know, appeal. So, Talk about how, you know, how can marketers really work to tap into an emotional side? Because it can be a balance. Like some things can be so over the top and cheesy, but at the same time, you know, some things can be really, really well done. Yeah, there, thankfully for us, there's a number of case studies of examples. So like there's several advertising agencies that do like the top 10 ads of the year award. And if you like pull up one of those lists and look at the winners from the last like 10 years, they're almost always an emotional ad. And Apple is, Apple's done a lot of good work in this area. Like I, I can say like Apple's probably won like three of the last five years and it's always with like their emotional Christmas ad. Um, and so, and, and you're right. And those types of ads do generate a lot of buzz and people will actually go online to watch them as like an entertainment product. Um, the, and, and to your question of this tension that we keep pulling back on, this isn't an advertising technique that's exclusively works in the online space. It's also incredibly effective in traditional television advertising. Uh, and I have a lot, I have research on that topic as well, that especially shows when viewers are really distracted when they're like media multitasking on their smartphones and they're watching television. 
Uh, emotional ads are one of the few things that can sort of pull their eyeballs away from their phone and back on the TV ad. And so this, this sort of technique works in, in a couple different spaces. Um, in terms of best practices, it's going to vary based on, um, you know, your industry and whatnot. But the, but the great thing, as I mentioned, is there's a lot of good examples online of firms that have done this well. Uh, and it is a highly effective um, tool. A lot of times it builds in the narrative element, right? So like the brand isn't central to the advertisement. It's something that sort of comes at the end. So a lot of people won't even know they're watching an ad until the ad is sort of progressed halfway through. Uh, and because there's sort of this storytelling that's sort of caught 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 them on into this sort of emotional um, appeal, I think those can be really effective. You know, one thing that you brought up, and I think as technology increases, as generations change, you know, I think one thing that's always going to be true is gaining attention. You know, the attention span of, of you know, who you're trying to reach, like you said, I mean, people now aren't, aren't just sitting down and watching TV, like maybe in the 90s, you know, I remember TGIF, you know, it was, you, yeah. you set aside a time and you sat down, you watched your favorite show and you were honed in on that gone are those days because even people that are watching TV now or even being advertised to on now on TV, they're on their phone, they're on their tablet, they're on their laptop, they're, they're maybe on all three at the exact same time doing who knows however many activities. And so, you know, that becomes part of the question is organizations trying to get the attention of the user. So from where you sit and what you've seen, you know, what have been some effective ways, especially now of, of, how can organizations get that attention, which, I mean, that is, that's the win. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's, it's like the million dollar, multi-million dollar question. Um, so in some of the research I've done in the television advertising space, we found two things that really stand out in capturing viewers' attention. The first is humor. Um, you know, we're, when we're watching media, when we're watching, we're on social media or watching television or we're watching Hulu, we're in the entertainment mindset. We've come there to be entertained. Um, and so one way ads can continue that sort of hedonic experience for the consumer is to use humor. Those tends, those kinds of ads tend to pull, pull people's eyes and minds back to the ad itself. And it's not only their eyes and minds. In this study that we did, we actually tracked consumer purchases so funny ads not only capture attention, but they convert more sales down the line. The other one we found, not shockingly tied to our previous you know, conversation was emotion. So emotional ads also tend to grab people's attention and also convert more sales down the line. So I think those sort of two dimensions, but overall you're, you're sort of, um, you hit this the, in the nail on the head and the fact that that attention is, is such a big question. Um, I, in fact, I have some uh, like a, a newer research project that I've started where we started looking at the effectiveness of six second ads. And when we were starting this project, I even took a step back and be like, what would marketers like three decades ago think of us spending, you know, like think of us even studying something like this, like the fact that we have to get our brand message across in six seconds, which has almost become the standard in the online space. Uh, it's, it is, it's sort of interesting to think about the, And that's sort of an ongoing research project that we're trying to figure out, you know, which characteristics matter in six seconds, you know, how can we design six second ads? Um, and, and are they effective uh, at the end of the day? Is this something I even want to spend resources on? Um, I think those are some of the things that we're studying and, and are relevant to this attention question. 
you know, and finally, as we begin to wrap up the episode, from where you sit, since you obviously are dealing with so much data and seeing trends, you know, can you give a projection as to how do you see marketing evolving? How do you see, you know, the space uh, changing? And maybe what are some of the changes or what do you project to see ads becoming as, you know, we look into the future? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, and a fun one, because it's not one that like we get to like sit back and reflect on. I think there's there's several big issues that are going to uh, hit marketing pretty hard. Uh, and some of them are on the, the sort of more on the challenges than opportunity side. So the big one is sort of related to privacy and, and, and targeting and how consumers feel about targeted ads, as well as how online platforms are going to continue marketers to allow us to continue doing targeted ads or not. Um, so I think that's one space that's really going to shape the next 10 years in marketing. Um, you know, we know that targeted ads allow us to reach um, a consumer that be maybe more in, in line with what we want to reach. But at the end of the day, if doing so, you know, isolates them, makes them feel yucky or whatever, then that's not going to be effective. So that's sort of this big picture question is how do we balance targeting, uh, you know, with with these concerns over privacy and, and not turn off the consumer in the process. Um, the other, I think, big channel or big thing that's going to sort of progress in marketing is um, our, our media channels where consumers go to uh, expose themselves to entertainment media are drastically changing. You know, things like um, video games and AI and sort of these immersive experiences are new kind of newer ways that marketers can think about serving ads is people spend less time watching TV on Friday nights and more time doing other things. Is there a space for marketing at the table in those other things? You know, is there a space for marketers in mobile games? Yeah, that seems to be the case. Is there a space for marketers, you know, in these more immersive sort of AI games? Uh, are movie theaters dying? Do we need to rethink about how, you know, consumers are spending their free time and, and then sort of discuss and say, can we have a space at this table? You know, I think podcasts is a fascinating industry that sort of exploded with opportunities for marketers, you know, and typically consumers are really engaged with the medium if they've sought that out, which might make them more uh, open to hearing advertisements in that medium, as opposed to another medium where they're not seeking out, you know, advice or exposure to, to different types of advertisings. And so um, I, I think those two things are going to be really big um, things that shape, you know, what marketers need to think about. Again, Beth Fawson, she's the Assistant Professor of Marketing at the Kelly School of Business, specializing in digital marketing. Thank you so much again for uh, sharing your wisdom and being a guest here on our show. Oh, no problem. That was a lot of fun, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. This has been another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella. Here on the show, our mission is to help organizations make better business decisions. We'll see you next week.